If I were to say to you, Corinthian woman, what would you think? Do we think of the world-famous Corinthian Yacht Club, which has a strong contingent of female sailors? <laughs> Probably not. I sure didn't. I never even heard of it until I googled Corinthian woman, and up comes the Corinthian Yacht Club. Who do it? Uh, do we think of women with beautifully braided hair and dressed to the hilt? That's what the modern Greeks think. A Corinthian woman. What is that? Paul is going to leave Athens. Athens was a highbrow, super philosophical university city. He's going to travel west for 50 miles by foot along the coast as the Aegean Sea bends towards Corinth. You will recall that Paul was greatly perturbed by the false witnesses, the false religions he witnessed in Athens. What will he find in Corinth? If Athens was the past center of intellectual might, Corinth was the current center of entrepreneurial power. Lots of money. The city sits on a narrow isthmus between the main body of Greece and that southern peninsula called the Peloponnesus. So all traffic, commercial or otherwise, traveled right through Corinth. And as the isthmus separates the Aegean Sea from the Gulf of Corinth, which leads to the Adriatic Sea, by less than five miles, it's not even five miles across, you can imagine that a lot of freight was shipped between the two ports, one on either side there. It didn't just save time. The trip around Greece to the south was fraught with danger. In the 1800s, a canal was finally dug across the peninsula so that the ships could sail directly between the Aegean and, and the Asiatic Sea. And you can see that blue line if you look real close. But back then, when Paul was there, let's see. A lot of money to throw around. Transient caravans of merchants and hordes of others. A great many sailors with their months of income from being at sea burning a hole in their pockets. What kind of city do you think this will be? <laughs> what was a Corinthian woman? That was slang throughout the first century Greek-speaking world, the whole world. That was slang for a prostitute. Ouch. <laughs> if one man threw the insult Corinthian at another, he meant a grossly immoral man. Even the Greek and Roman dramas and plays of that time, the Corinthians were almost always portrayed as drunks. Mm, that's the city. What kind of city was Corinth? What kind of people were the norm there? Well, knowing that, <laughs> we should ask this question. If you were Paul or Jesus leading him, would you pick Corinth as the place to spend considerable time developing a church? <laughs> Another thought, consider the Jews, those who hadn't heard about Christ and those who had. They were greatly opposed to the pagan practices there of the Gentiles, and they should have been. Example, there were 1,000, 1,000 priestesses at the temple of Aphrodite. What in the world would a thousand women do in a pagan temple? Well, they were Corinthian women. They were prostitutes. 
a thousand of them paid by the religious establishment to draw men to Corinth where they could be parted from their money. Well, it was worse than that. Most, if not all, of these women were slaves. They had no choice in the matter. Drug, beaten, whatever it took to make them comply. It was right of the Jews to be incensed by this sort of abuse. But you can imagine how a sense that they were better than those Gentile sinners would develop. And it's only a step from there to simply say that all Gentiles are sinners. And then that association with Gentiles is itself a sin. Good people like us wouldn't do that. Remember that in the other cities where the Jews opposed the Gentile practices, the unbelieving Jews had also strongly opposed Paul. Uh, just so, not too long ago, after Paul got moving in this ministry in Corinth, after a number of Jews, including many important and influential Hebrews, had become Christians, and remaining, the remaining unbelieving Jews, yeah, they began to oppose Paul. Do you remember all that has happened to Paul when opposition arose? He's been driven out just ahead of the hangman's noose. He's been stoned, left for dead, beaten, jailed, and in just the last few months escaped out of Thessalonica and then Berea with little more than his life. The pattern was pretty consistent. So how do you think Paul is doing? <laughs> Can you blame him if he was feeling a bit apprehensive? But in the middle of all this, we're going to go back to the beginning soon, Jesus speaks to Paul. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city who are my people. Go on speaking. And look at that. In Corinth, God has many people. But, here's the fun part, these people were not God's people yet. I mean, well, in God's eyes they were. But it's not likely we'd have looked at them and said, oh yeah, that's some of God's children. <laughs> no, we'd have said, what a bunch of low-life Corinthians. Remember when Paul went to Philippi, the unlikely people that believed there? Lydia, getting rich off of rich people's vanity. And her whole household. And a Roman jailer. A man who beat people for a living. And his whole household believed. Completely unlikely people. Who would have ever thought that God would have many in Corinth that were his people. Who would have thought that God would have many in Westport who were his people? I'd like us to look through this story and see where we might find some similarities between Paul's task and ours. How the Lord telling him to go on speaking might relate to us. Could it be that God has many on the South Beach who are his people? 
they might not know it yet. <laughs> we might not see it in them yet. But maybe, just maybe, some of them will come to Him. Even this next week. And maybe, just maybe, we will get a chance to help them discover the joy of life with Jesus. Well, let's join Paul as he makes his way towards Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul came into Corinth all by himself. That's got to have been a little scary. Remember, this is the first century with no Chateau Westport (laughs) at which you could stay. So he had to look for someone who would agree to let him stay in their house. God leads him to some deeply devoted Christians who were of the same race and cultural background and who plied the same trade. Isn't God good? But notice that Paul found them. (laughs) He didn't just sit down and wait for them. Oh God, bring me somebody that I can live with. (laughs) No, he went looking. Maybe our first lesson is we need to be proactive in looking for other believers, people with whom we can work to advance the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to go out and find them. Ask them to join us as we try to change Westport, change the world. And notice that when Paul first got there, he worked to support himself while he taught on Sundays. Well, the Sabbath, Saturdays. Sometimes we have to adapt. You see, the culture in Corinth was all about ripping people off. (laughs) They lived by the rule of gold, not the golden rule. No, their rule was a fool and his money are soon parted, so let's part it from them and put it in our pockets. (laughs) Uh, So Corinthian citizens, as a rule, were pretty leery of anyone who wanted to take their money for any reason, even if it was for something legitimate, like, say, being taught about the living God. Later, Paul would write to the church and ask, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself? so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. You've heard it plenty of times if you've been around Christianity long. Some in the Corinthian church were pretty spiritually sick when Paul wrote his letters to them. Specifically in this case, they were too spiritually weak to financially support the one who taught them about God. They had the money, they just didn't want to do it. Paul knew that, so he worked a day job to make sure they wouldn't feel like he was ripping them off. How could they trust his message if they didn't trust him. And then, did you catch his little stab? I robbed other churches to serve you. (laughs) Ouch. But still, Paul knew he needed to teach more than just one day a week if he was going to grow a church there. That's why he was willing to take money from other churches. 
You may remember that he sent word with the men who had brought him to Athens to send Timothy and Silas when he got back when they got back to Philippi. Luke reports when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Obviously, having these two men with him again must have been very encouraging. We need to encourage one another. But also very important was the financial gift from Macedonia, specifically from Philippi, that made it possible to be occupied with the word full-time. We know from Paul's other letters that they consistently supported him financially because they believed in his work. We may find ourselves blessed by others whom we've never met in just such a way. We have been so blessed. Five different churches, if you don't know this, have given money to this church in just the time I've been here. Four different churches have sent ministry teams to help this church. So first, let us be gracious in our gratefulness. (laughs) Then let us grow and realize that the goal is self-sufficiency. And so much more. We should be able to give to other churches in need. Let me read a section of Paul's letter to the Philippian church that was so generous. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases To your credit. Paul knew that it was for the good of the Philippian believers that they gave. Remember last week when we talked about the most quoted verse in the Bible? Luke 6.37, Judge not. Do you know what Jesus said immediately after that? The next words he said were give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Everybody knew that God gave to those who gave to people in need. Jesus pointed out this truth about giving to make them realize that judging carried the same return as giving does. Do we really believe that God gives to those who give to others in need? Well, yes. (laughs) That's why we send money, this church sends money to Converge Northwest every month. So that, together with other churches, we can help those in need here in the Northwest. It's why we support two different missionaries. This tiny little church supports two different missionaries. It's why we work with the South Beach Christian Outreach. Let them use our building. It's all of that. All right, let's take a little break here. I'm going to tell you a fascinating thing I learned from a psychologist who's also a pastor. Counselors in large churches look at the financial records to see who's not giving. Ah, is that right? I mean, isn't that an invasion of privacy? Counselors doing this. Well, actually, they do it because they've discovered a simple and unfailing truth. It's true every time. Families that are involved in the church but who don't give are families in trouble. The counselors look for the non-givers not so that they can get them to give. They don't care about that but so that they can help the family before it is torn apart. It's an amazingly effective thing. Being generous is a sign of spiritual health. 
Is not God a giving God? Aren't we supposed to be like Him more? But giving is also a means of becoming spiritually healthy. When you give, it helps you grow. That's why it's important to give to God's work. Well, that and it's the right thing to do, but <laughs> you gotta live for Jesus Christ. Paul worked in order to make sure his ministry was very effective in Corinth. Uh, the Philippian church, and apparently others, gave so that, God, that Paul could be occupied with the word full-time. And it was good for them, the Philippians, that they gave. And it's good for us to give. God always, always multiplies giving back. In the next life, Absolutely, for sure. But even here he does. All right. Paul is preaching and teaching full-time now. Lots of people are listening. Many are believing. And the Jews who won't believe? In Acts 18.6 we read, And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. When they opposed and reviled him, Luke expects them to oppose Paul. <laughs> eh, how would this apply in our lives? Yeah, you guessed it. We better know that there are those who will oppose us. Some may even claim belief in Jesus. Let's be sure we can say with Paul, don't blame us. <laughs> We were clear in what we said about Jesus and what we said about the truth. You need to admit you are a sinner, a Corinthian. <laughs> Believe Jesus can and will save you and commit your life to him as your Lord. And it may be that we have to do something like what Paul did. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> Mr. J.C. Penny, the man who started all those stores so many years ago, he said there are three important keys to success in retail sales. The first, location. You've got to have a good location. The second, location. <laughs> you probably guessed the third already. That's right, location. <laughs> location, location, location. Those were his first three rules of retail sales. You know, God knew this long before J.C. Penney ever existed. <laughs> the Jews opposed him, God that is, in the synagogue, but he already had the plan set up. Okay, guys, move in next door. <laughs> Picture it. People come to the synagogue to hear the good news everyone's talking about. Hey, where's that Paul guy? That dirty, rotten, Gentile lover? We kicked him out. He's next door at the Justice House. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks. And then they walk right next door. <laughs> right into the teaching that God has for them. Can we trust that God really will arrange things as they need to be for us to both hear and teach the Gospel? He will. And how will it work out? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. 
together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Wow! The senior pastor of the Jewish church. <laughs> yeah, I know, okay, it wasn't exactly like that. But you get the idea. How would it be if the leader of the Mormon religion here in Westport became a believer in the true God? Huh? What about the guy who misleads the Jehovah's Witness crowd? It could happen. Are we ready to believe it? Could you believe that your daughter will believe? Your son, your spouse, your friend. Paul was ready to believe for many to come to faith. But he'd also been around the block a few times. He knew that this would infuriate the rest of the Jews who wouldn't believe even more. So he began to wonder, how far do I stick my neck out this time? And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Three commands. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. I know these last two are kind of the same, right? I guess God knew he needed to hear it both ways. What about us? And our telling people about Jesus, we must put aside our fears. Don't be afraid. We must keep telling of the resurrection of Jesus. Go on speaking. We must not be silent. Do you understand that the creator of heaven and earth is with you? There were times and places where people did attack Paul to harm him, but not in Corinth. As far as we know, it's the only place where he did significant ministry and yet left peacefully. It's the only place that we know of. Paul needed that there. God will give us the level of protection that we need. We just have to trust him. Remember, he just may have many in this city who are his people. Paul trusted God and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. The only place Paul stayed longer was Ephesus. We're about to read what happened in the middle, but the end of this pericope, our verse 18, has an interesting hint of Paul's determination to do what he was told. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him went Priscilla and Aquila. At Sancrii, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. Well, what's that? What's that about? To a Jew of those days, you make a vow, and you didn't cut your hair until you'd completed the vow. Sancrii was the first stop when you leave Corinth. Actually, it was the port from where the ships sailed west. I think Paul made a vow to do as the Lord told him to go on speaking the whole time he was in Corinth. If so, when he left Corinth, 
he had completed the vow. So he cut his hair. How seriously do we take God's instructions? Now we don't need to, we don't need to let our hair grow long. That's a cultural thing. But are we ready to persevere for the one who persevered all the way to the cross for us? Will we actually talk to people about Jesus? This week, maybe you should ask someone where they are in their spiritual journey. What about the middle of the story that I promised you? Luke gives us a wonderful and strangely satisfying <clears throat> little narrative. You'll get it when I say it. To illustrate how faithful God was to Paul. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. The Jews are getting desperate. <laughs> so they turn to the tactic that usually worked. Call on your established legal status and claim that Christianity is not related to Judaism in any way. Really, it was a last-ditch attempt to beat Paul and defeat the gospel. Interesting, isn't it? Supposedly, these Jews are purveyors of the truth. And yet, the truth they purported was insufficient to restrain even some of their own from joining the Christian faith. Now, what do they do when the truth they proclaim cannot stand on its own? Well, of course, they recognize that their statements are not really truth, and they turn to that which really is the truth. <sighs> no. <laughs> really, how often do people who believe what they believe, regardless of the facts, play the game fairly? Never comes to mind. Galileo is proconsul of the entire territory. He was like the Supreme Court as far as the law goes. In other words, he could set legal precedent for the entire Roman Empire. Those Jews are taking a big chance, and they made a big mistake. Now, to understand what happens next, you have to know what this court system was like more like Judge Judy uh, than a real court. <laughs> and actually, it was way past that. It was a show. It was held in the open next to the huge public market. Hundreds, maybe thousands, would attend the hearings. Now, remember that these Jews derided and put down all Gentiles because of the corrupt behavior of the masses. So what do you think the public sentiment towards Jews will be? And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Can you say, big mistake? When they couldn't win with the truth, they tried deception. But God will not be mocked. Sosthenes, the new ruler of the synagogue, 
gets trounced. But maybe, maybe there's even more to this story. Let me read to you the very first sentence in the first letter of Paul's that we have to the Corinthian church. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Sosthenes. Well, now Sosthenes was not a terribly uncommon name. But really, another Sosthenes that would be known to the Corinthian church and important enough to them to mention? I think it's the same guy. I think he was beaten and he cried out to God, Why, Lord? And I think God told him exactly why. (laughs) Can you imagine the effect on those brand new believers in Corinth or on the Jews? God is truly amazing. Well, we've looked at Luke's overview of Paul's work in Corinth. Why not hear what Paul had to say about the start of his work there? And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. We have a message that God wants us to bring to people. We should not be afraid. We should go on speaking. We should not be silent. For the Lord is with us. What happens to us, he controls. For he has many in this city who are his people. Now you might be saying, how can I convince people of the truth of Jesus Christ? Do we really think it's our lofty speech that will convince them? Is it our wisdom that will draw them? No. It's the message of Christ Jesus. Crucified for our sins. Raised as our living hope. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking. and Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. We might be weak and fearful, even trembling like Paul was, but it's not our words or our wisdom. It is the Holy Spirit and His power. That way, the faith of those that we lead to Christ will have its foundation in God. And when our pitiful wisdom fails, and it will they'll still stand because God will ever stand. Westport, what a bunch of Corinthians. (laughs) Yeah, Corinthians, some of whom, even if they don't know it yet, even if they don't look like it yet, are really God's people. Go on speaking. (laughs) They need to hear what you have to say.
We hope that you've enjoyed this message, first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. If you'd like to support us so we can do more, well, you'll have to work at it. We have no one-click button for giving on our webpage, southbeachhope.org. We are a tiny church in a small town and simply cannot afford either money or time to set up such a thing. But at least with our modern technology and with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and anyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.